0: Welcome to episode 195 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for the week of August 26th, 2012. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. In the first of several Fredcasts this week, we're going to go in-depth into the USADA versus Lance Armstrong case, providing all the details and the timeline leading up to the final conclusion. Well, for now, the final conclusion. Plus, I'll let you know my opinion of the case, and then I'm going to want to hear from you as well. We'll also look at the Jonathan Vodder's admission in the New York Times of his own use of performance-enhancing drugs during his professional cycling career, plus I've got Fredcast jerseys for sale, so get them while they're hot, and pot cycling music. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike hammer, just a little bit harder because here comes the
1: Fredcast.
0: Hello, Freds. Welcome back to another episode of The Fredcast. This is David, your host and producer, and hey, it's been a while. I've missed you guys. I hope you've missed me, too. It's great to be back behind the microphone for another episode of The Fredcast. By the way, I've got this one for you today. I'm going to have another one for you later this week. We've got a lot to talk about. I've been testing some products. There's a lot going on in the news. And I think the best way to handle this is just sort of to break it up into a couple of different shows, give you all of the info, and then get right back into the regular rhythm of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. So thanks so much for staying subscribed and staying with us. It's great to be here. We've got a lot in store for you today. But, as always, before we get started, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank my sponsor, Jensen USA, at jensenusa.com slash thefredcast. I've told you before that Jensen USA is the place when you are looking for new cycling equipment, apparel, complete bikes, whatever it is that you're looking for that you need for your cycling lifestyle, Jensen USA is the place to go. And I've told you, they have got an amazing selection, incredible pricing, and some of the best customer service in the industry. And hey, look, cyclocross season is upon us. I'm sure that you're looking for some new parts and bits for your bike to get ready for cyclocross. Head on over to jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast. Meanwhile, here in Park City, the weather is getting a little bit cooler, still warm, but cool nights. I've been doing a lot more mountain biking toward the end of the season, and I've been seeing a lot of gravity cycling going on. We used to call it downhill. Today, the kids are calling it gravity. But Jensen USA has some amazing deals on the new Shimano Saint components. If you're a gravity rider, if you love going fast downhill, you've got the full face helmet and all the gear and the padding, head on over to JensenUSA.com and check out the deals they've got going on right now on the Shimano St. Components, in stock, ready to place your order, ready to head out the door and make their way onto your bike before mountain biking season is gone in your neck of the woods. So head on over to jensenusa.com slash thefredcast, or simply go to thefredcast.com and click the Jensen USA link on the right-hand side of the page. We thank jensenusa.com so much for their support, and we thank you for supporting Jensen USA. Well, before we get to the news, let's get right down into the biggest question that I think all Fredcast listeners are asking, and that is, hey, David, where have you been? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, it's been a number of, of reasons why I sort of stepped away from the microphone a little bit. Um, the usual reasons, uh, work, family, cycling, and then the unusual reasons. And I'm going to be completely open and honest with you. I am so disillusioned with professional cycling and professional cyclists right now, that it has been very difficult for me to sit down here at my desk, attach the microphone, pull on these headphones, and start to talk to you. Now, granted, I've done a couple of spokesman episodes uh, since we uh, have last met here on the Fredcast, and I've been doing a lot of preparation for the show, including product testing and getting ready for some things coming up in the future, some rides, etc., but to actually sit down here all by myself without my buddies on the spokesman and to talk to you all about professional cycling has, in a word, been difficult. And if I were to add another word, it would probably be painful because as we get more into the things that we're going to be talking about today, Lance Armstrong specifically, Jonathan Voder's op-ed in The New York Times uh, and some other matters that have come up in professional cycling, I have become more and more angry, upset, disillusioned, hurt, and quite frankly, I don't like our sport very much. Now, I love cycling. Mrs. Fredcast, Donna, and I went out and uh, did a great century ride on Saturday uh, here in the mountains of the Wasatch Back, and we love cycling. Again, I told you before, I've been mountain biking Uh, So whether it's road riding or mountain biking or, you know what, just getting on my electric bike in the afternoon uh, to go meet for lunch or a cup of coffee, I love cycling. But right now, I loathe professional cycling. uh, And I loathe some of the people that have been uh, in our sport, be they cyclists, be they directors sportif, coaches, doctors, and yes, even the anti-doping authorities and the governing body of our sport, the UCI, and we'll get into all of that. So my apologies to all of you, but I'm going to guess that you felt very similar to the way I have felt. While you may not agree with my final conclusions, specifically in the Lance Armstrong case, although I think that I've telegraphed some of them to you in the past, while you may not agree with those conclusions, I think you'll probably at least agree with the sentiments of anger and upsetness and disgust, and yes, sadness, at what's become of our sport. It's my hope that from all of this, will rise the phoenix of a better sport, but in the meantime, I think we've hit a low spot, Uh, not only in the way that those of us who are enthusiasts feel about the sport, but also in the way that the general public feels about the sport. This Lance Armstrong, or this USADA versus Lance Armstrong case, has been polarizing For those of us who have studied it for years and years, and certainly we've been talking about it since day one here on the Fredcast, and from day one on The Spokesman, for those of us who have studied it, we have some very considered opinions based on fact, based on opinion. For those in the general public, a lot of it is based on emotion. Lance Armstrong, the cancer survivor, Lance Armstrong, the cancer fighter, Lance Armstrong, the conquering American hero coming back from Europe with his cool yellow shirts. And for many of them, Lance Armstrong has been the victim of what he's called nothing short of a kangaroo court. So it's been it's been a tough couple of months in cycling, and it's been a tough couple of months in the way that I've looked at it. But I'm ready to talk to you about my feelings about Lance Armstrong, about Jonathan Votter's, and to get back to what I love, which is telling you about cycling, maybe not so much about professional cycling at the moment, but just about two wheels, some pedals, a chain, a handlebar, and the wind in your hair. So let's get back to it. Whew, well, that off my chest. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about what everybody's talking about, what all of your friends and family have been asking you about since, well, certainly since last week, but probably since June 12th. Because if you'll remember, on June 12th, 2012, a letter was sent from the United States Anti-Doping Agency to Lance Armstrong, Johan Bruyneel, and four others, including three team doctors. One a bit well, more well-known than the others, Michele Ferrari, but all of them team doctors, and one UCI representative. And as you'll recall, that 15-page letter alleged that Lance johan and their associates had been involved in doping in professional cycling now they were not alleging that lance armstrong had failed a test as a matter of fact that's not even required in order for uh, lance to be found guilty or have been found guilty of a doping offense instead what they were alleging was that lance armstrong and his associates were guilty of promoting and furnishing a variety of um, different doping substances, including EPO, testosterone, steroids, and yes, participating in blood doping. In a sense, a conspiracy to dope and to hide the use of performance-enhancing substances from authorities so that they could, of course, get an advantage on the playing field. No allegation of failed tests, however, They did allege that blood samples in their possession demonstrated a pattern that would indicate doping. Think of the well-known biological passport. Plus, and perhaps most damning by some people's estimates, was USADA's allegation that they had multiple witnesses, numbers ranging from 10 to 12 or in that range, multiple witnesses, who could testify to the use, promotion, and furnishing of doping by Lance Armstrong, Johan Berniel, and their associates. And it was widely believed among cycling experts and media alike that many of those witnesses were well-known cycling uh, professional cyclists. And many of the names that came out were names like Tyler Hamilton, Floyd Landis. Now, those two you may say are discredited, but then the list went on. George Hincapie, Levi Leipheimer, Dave Zabriskie, and others. Now, that's simply conjecture. Those are names that have been bandied about in the media. But when you looked over the next weeks and months at the activities of some of those individuals— backing out of participation in the Olympics, avoiding media at all costs, it became, well, people felt that it was more likely that those people were among the witnesses listed as those who would testify against Lance Armstrong. Yes, with some level of immunity or having made some sort of a deal Uh, In exchange for those admissions, but as we talked about on a recent episode of the Fredcast, that happens in courtrooms around the country every single day. So that's how we got here. That's how this all started. USADA's letter to Lance Armstrong and his associates was clear. Either accept the charges as written in the letter or go to arbitration with the United States Anti-Doping Agency. A few days later, a newspaper in Europe cited unnamed, quote-unquote, well-informed sources who indicated that those who would be testifying against Lance Armstrong and receiving, well, less harsh uh, bans from professional cycling included Jonathan Vaughters, George Hincappy, Levi Leipheimer, Dave Zabriskie, and... Christian Vandeveld. Now, Zabriskie and Vandeveld are both members of the Garmin Sharp professional cycling team. Garmin Sharp is managed by Slipstream Sports, and that means Jonathan Vaughters himself, who then went out on Twitter to say, and I'm quoting now because I thought I, I parsed this a number of different times and I came up with certain conclusions and I'll tell you what those were, but this is what he said, word for word no six-month suspensions have been given to any member of slipstream sports today or at any future date unquote now when i read that i thought well that's that's well written because it says that right now no suspensions have been given and that right now no agreements for suspensions are in place however If there's an understanding that if you testify, you're going to get a reduced sentence, that doesn't mean that there's any agreement, that no suspensions have been given. And so it seemed to me that it was carefully crafted and well-written so as to leave doubt and leave everyone feeling, um, those who who hadn't parsed it, that there was a pretty good chance that that these allegations that these guys uh, were going to be testifying, that these allegations were completely false. Now, realize that all of this is taking place during the 2012 edition of the Tour de France. So, of course, people went out and asked the riders themselves. Levi Leipheimer declined to comment on the reports, saying simply, quote, I'm just here to ride the Tour de France, and so far, I'm still on the hunt for the general classification. I can't say anything. When they approached George Hincappy, he was quoted as saying, quote, I'm here to help Cadell win the tour. This has nothing to do with BMC. I'm sad he, Lance, is going through this. He's done so many things for the sport. His accomplishments are incredible. Meanwhile, BMC's team manager, Jim Okowitz, also denied knowing anything about this, saying, quote, we've not received any information from any authority about this issue at all. Lance Armstrong, who once said that he would no longer fight doping allegations ever again, I think that was an outside magazine, decided to fight this one. And so he had his lawyers file suit in federal court against the United States Anti-Doping Agency on a variety of uh, different allegations, specifically that USADA didn't have authority, and that it was unconstitutional what they were doing. The first version of their lawsuit was thrown out the very same day by the judge in Texas. U.S. District Court Judge Sam Sparks was quite clear in his admonition to Lance Armstrong and his attorneys, saying, quote, Armstrong's complaint is far from short, spanning 80 pages and containing 261 numbered paragraphs, many of which have multiple subparts. Worse, the bulk of these paragraphs contain, and he put this in quotes, allegations that are wholly irrelevant to Armstrong's claims and which, the court must presume, were included solely to increase media coverage of this case and to incite public opinion against defendants, meaning USADA. Indeed, vast swaths of the complaint could be removed entirely, and most of the remaining paragraphs substantially reduced without the loss of any legally relevant information information. Contrary to Armstrong's apparent belief, pleadings filed in the United States district courts are not press releases, internet blogs, or pieces of investigative journalism. Now, the court did, after that very sharp admonition, did leave the door open for Lance Armstrong and his attorneys to refile their case, which they did the very next day. But not before one more barb for Armstrong and his attorneys. Judge Sparks saying, quote, Armstrong is advised in the strongest possible terms to omit any improper argument, rhetoric, or irrelevant material from his future pleadings. And that is exactly what happened. Shortly thereafter, three of Lance Armstrong's associates, Dr. Michelle Ferrari, Dr. Luis Garcia del Moral, and Jose Pepe Marti, who was a team trainer for the United States postal service squad all three of those had been originally charged in the june the 12th letter none of the three responded looking for arbitration with the united states anti-doping agency and as a result on june excuse me on july the 10th the united states anti-doping agency issued lifetime sports bans to all three of those former associates of lance armstrong Travis Tigert, the head of the United States Anti-Doping Agency, the chief executive thereof, was quoted as saying, quote, the respondents chose not to waste resources by moving forward with the arbitration process, which would only reveal what they already know to be the truth of their doping activity. Meanwhile, another team doctor, Pedro Celaya, uh, who was also charged in the original letter of June the 12th, did request to go to arbitration with the United States Anti-Doping Agency. Now, around the same time, remember, you'll recall, Lance Armstrong has now filed his lawsuit in a federal district court in Sam Sparks' courtroom once again. As part of that lawsuit, he asked for a temporary injunction because there was a looming deadline with USADA for Lance to respond. USADA decided to grant Lance Armstrong at this point a 30-day extension within which to respond to allow the lawsuit to proceed and for Judge Sparks to issue a ruling. USADA issuing a statement saying that they felt that the lawsuit was without merit and that they felt that eventually Judge Sparks would throw it out and then allow the case to proceed. So they gave Lance Armstrong, this is on or about July the 11th, they gave Lance Armstrong a 30-day extension within which to respond to USADA. A few days later, much like Dr. Salaya, Johan Bruniel, uh, Lance Armstrong's longtime director sportif, coach, confidant, and friend, decided to accept arbitration with the United States Anti-Doping Agency, and that arbitration is still pending, even as of the date of this recording. As is common and necessary in legal battles, the United States Anti-Doping Agency, about a week and a half after Lance Armstrong filed his original complaint— or his amended complaint, that is, in U.S. District Court, the United States Anti-Doping Agency filed their response, specifically looking at uh, the areas of jurisdiction, whether or not the United States Anti-Doping Agency, A, has jurisdiction over Lance Armstrong, and B, whether or not Lance Armstrong in the past has admitted that the United States Anti-Doping Agency has jurisdiction. Their brief starts out by admitting that uh, many courts have already ruled on the issue of jurisdiction, saying that it has, quote, been repeatedly upheld by courts, unquote, uh, that they have jurisdiction over athletes. Furthermore, they state that Lance Armstrong accepted their jurisdiction when he was fighting uh, an insurance company, SCA Promotions. Remember, they originally said that they would not give Lance Armstrong uh, this large bonus uh, that he was entitled to after he won his sixth tour in 2004. And part of the documents that Lance Armstrong and his then legal team used in their court case against SCA promotions did indicate that the United States Anti-Doping Agency did indeed have jurisdiction over athletes in the United States, including Lance Armstrong. News has a great article in which it lays out all of the various claims by Lance Armstrong that are refuted by USADA. But to me, the one that, uh, that I thought was, or the portion of the article that I thought was most interesting and most telling, remember, Lance Armstrong is still claiming that the United States Anti-Doping Agency doesn't have authority over him yet. The affidavit that Lance Armstrong and his team filed... In that previous court case against SCA Promotions says, and now I'm quoting, USADA is not subject to the control of the United States Olympic Committee, but has contracted with the USOC to administer its entire anti-doping program. The USOC has given USADA full authority to execute a comprehensive national anti-doping program encompassing testing, adjudication, education, and research, and to develop programs, policies, and procedures in each of those areas. Remember that programs, policies, and procedures part when we get to the end of this story. Continuing, all athletes in U.S. Olympic sports, including athlete members of U.S. national governing bodies, such as USA Cycling, are subject to the programs of USADA. Because USA Cycling is the U.S. National Federation of the Union Cycliste International, the UCI, the Sport of Cycling's international cycling sanctioning body, All U.S. cyclists, including professional cyclists, are subject to testing by USADA. To be recognized as a national federation by the UCI and by the USOC, USA Cycling is legally required to follow the protocols of USADA. It then continues, quote, By being a licensed member of USA Cycling, Like all licensed members, Mr. Lance Armstrong has an obligation to participate in the drug testing programs of USADA. Further, since Mr. Armstrong competes internationally and is an elite U.S. cyclist, he is in the USA Cycling USADA USOC drug testing pool. In other words, Lance Armstrong admitted way back then that USADA did indeed have jurisdiction over him and all professional cyclists uh, who get their licenses from USA Cycling, and that USADA has full authority and right to develop policies and procedures for drug testing and for the adjudication thereof. Now, of course, there were other elements of their response, including, for instance, uh, you'll recall that Lance Armstrong has... has. Uh, variously claimed that he had 400, he's been tested 400 times, 500 times, now close to 600 times. Uh, and the USADA says in their uh, legal brief that they're, they've requested Armstrong's counsel to provide them with the factual basis for those claims, and that to date, they had so far refused. They also talked about um, that Lance Armstrong has no agreement uh, to arbitrate disciplinary actions with the United States Anti-Doping Agency. Yet in USADA's brief, they said, and I quote, Mr. Armstrong has an obligation independent of the UCI to arbitrate arbitrate these disciplinary proceedings under the USA Cycling and USA Triathlon rules. Remember, Lance has has recently become uh, a professional triathlete, to which he agreed and which obligated him to the USADA protocol and arbitration under Usada protocol, and so there's a variety of different claims here. They've gone down, and they've they've laid each one out and knocked each one down. But remember, when you hear Lance Armstrong speak, when you read his statements, these are the ones that that he's been most focused on. Uh, I'm the most tested athlete in in the history of sport. Uh, that. I never made an agreement that I would arbitrate that they've made up these rules, and I've never subjected myself to them, and despite all of that, they have no authority over me. And so these were the main claims that Lance Armstrong was making, and these are USADA's responses. As part of USADA's brief against, uh, in opposition to Lance Armstrong's lawsuit in U.S. District Court, there was a letter attached, and this one caught several people by surprise, and Others were completely not surprised by what it said. You see, it was a letter by UCI President Pat McQuaid to the United States Anti-Doping Agency, indicating that, quote, the UCI wants that the whole case file, with all the evidence, is assessed by an independent panel who shall then decide if the respondents have a case to answer, unquote. In other words, dear, UC- dear USADA, this is Uncle Pat calling, We'd like you to stop your case and hand it over to us, and we'll handle it from here. Nice job, fellas, but let the big boys take over. Well, apparently, Travis Tigert, the CEO of the United States Anti-Doping Agency, didn't take very kindly to this request, responding... Uh, Through their general counsel, Bill Bach, saying, quote, Many could legitimately contend that UCI's involvement in the results management of the case would suffer from a structural concern, sometimes referred to colloquially as, quote, the fox guarding the henhouse, unquote. Continuing, In numerous instances, the inability of a sports organization to effectively police doping within its sport has been noted and also saying that the UCI had, quote, adopted some of the same arguments now being advanced by Mr. Armstrong's lawyers and public relations consultants. Strong words. Travis Tigert was contacted by VeloNews and gave the following statement written to VeloNews, saying, quote, The United States Postal Service doping conspiracy was going on under the watch of UCI, so of course... UCI and the participants in the conspiracy who cheated sport with dangerous performance-enhancing drugs to win have a strong incentive to cover up what transpired. The participants in the conspiracy have lashed out in the press, gone to Congress, and filed a lawsuit to avoid a public display of the evidence before neutral judges. Efforts to intimidate scare or pressure us to conceal the truth will not stop us from doing the job we are mandated to do on behalf of clean athletes and the integrity of all sport the participants of the usps doping conspiracy made their decisions to use dangerous banned drugs to win and our job is to apply the rules whether someone is famous or anonymous and we will do that on behalf of the millions of people who demand clean sport despite these external pressures Perhaps complicating matters even further, the World Anti-Doping Agency wrote a letter to UCI President Pat McQuaid following this exchange of letters between the UCI and USADA asking the UCI essentially to back off. WADA telling the UCI that the agency, quote, which discovered the violation must have results management authority, unquote, in such a case. In other words, since the United States Anti Doping Agency did their own investigation and is alleging to have found violations based on the evidence that it claims to have, that it is under World Anti Doping Agency rules, the USADA's responsibility to follow up on the case. Wada saying that there's no provision within its own rules that allows the UCI to interfere with the USADA or even to demand that they turn over all of the evidence as the UCI letter to USADA demanded. And this becomes significant later in the case. Uh, most of you, unless you've been under a rock, as I said on the last show, uh, unless you've been under a rock, you know what the results of this case are. And this point here is really at the crux of what Lance Armstrong says in his final statement, quote unquote, on this matter, which is that USADA does not have results management authority in this case, that it must go to the UCI, that USADA doesn't have the ability to sanction an athlete in the United States, a cyclist in the United States, that it must go to the UCI. But here's the World Anti-Doping Agency saying to both the UCI and to Lance Armstrong, I'm sorry, gentlemen, but it is USADA's right, it is USADA's responsibility to follow up on a case when they have evidence and when they've discovered evidence of a violation having occurred seems to me that that trumps many of the arguments that uh, Lance Armstrong and his attorneys are making, and it trumps many of the statements that Lance Armstrong says at the conclusion of this entire affair. But let's move forward, continuing with the history of the case. Then just before Sam Sparks, the judge in the U.S. District Court, issued his ruling, USA Cycling chimed in. USA Cycling is the body, as you well know, that sanctions and licenses American professional cyclists in a letter from Stephen Hess, a lawyer for USA cycling, to District Judge Sam Sparks, United States, uh, the USA Cycling Federation said, quote, USAC believes that UCI has the power to express its interpretation of Wada's anti-doping code. In other words, siding with the UCI in saying that the UCI should be able to take authority away from USADA and siding against the World Anti-Doping Agency. Nevertheless, on August the 20th, federal judge Sam Sparks issued an order in the case throwing out Lance Armstrong's lawsuit against the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. Now, there's several important parts of Judge Sparks' uh, 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 order dismissing the lawsuit, specifically saying, With respect to Armstrong's due process challenges, the court agrees they are without merit. Alternately, even if the court has jurisdiction over Armstrong's remaining claims, the court finds they are best resolved through the well established system of international arbitration by those with expertise in the field, rather than by the unilateral edict of a single nation's courts. As for, well, what everybody has called a turf war between the UCI and USADA, apparently pitting. Uh, WADA on USADA's side and USA Cycling on the UCI's side. The court said, quote, on balance, the court finds the USADA arbitration rules, which largely follow those of the American Arbitration Association, are sufficiently robust to satisfy the requirements of due process. This court declines to assume either the pool of potential arbitrators or the ultimate arbitral panel itself will be unwilling or unable to render a conscientious decision based on the evidence before it. Further, Armstrong has ample appellate avenues open to him. In Armstrong's legal brief, he claimed that uh, USADA's charging letter was insufficient. Remember that June 12th, 15-page letter saying that it was insufficient, didn't have enough information, apparently under normal discovery rules in a court case the judge saying this. Indeed, but for two facts, the court might be inclined to find USADA's charging letter was a violation of due process and to enjoin USADA from proceeding thereunder. First, it would likely be of no practical effect. USADA could easily issue a more detailed charging letter, at which point Armstrong would presumably once again file suit and the parties would be back in this exact position sometime later, only poorer for their legal fees. Second, And most important usada's legal counsel represented to the court that armstrong will in fact receive detailed disclosures regarding usada's claims against him at a time reasonably before arbitration and then the court looks at what armstrong has called a vendetta or a kangaroo court saying that there are quote troubling aspects of this case not the least of which is USADA's apparent single-minded determination to force Armstrong to arbitrate the charges against him in direct conflict with UCI's equally evident desire not to proceed against him. Interesting. Continuing, unfortunately, the appearance of conflict on the part of both organizations creates doubt the charges against Armstrong would receive fair consideration in either forum. The issue is further complicated by USA Cycling's late-breaking show of support for UCI and the apparent opposition to USADA's proceeding, a wrinkle which does not change the court's legal analysis, but only confirms that these matters should be resolved internally by the parties most effective excuse me, by the parties most affected, rather than by edict of this court. And while ruling in USADA's favor, or rather against Lance Armstrong, the court wanted to finish with one last jab at the entire, well, the entire infrastructure of professional cycling, and indeed, perhaps of uh, Olympic-sanctioned sports, saying, it is perplexing that these three national and international bodies are apparently unable to work together to accomplish their shared goal, the regulation and promotion of cycling. However, if these bodies wish to damage the image of their sport through bitter infighting, they'll have to do so without the involvement of the United States courts. And so then, that set up Lance Armstrong for a choice. You see, because The USADA had continued to grant extensions of their deadline for Lance Armstrong to respond as to whether or not he would accept arbitration in the matter. And so, once the judge issued his order, USADA then gave Lance Armstrong three days to decide: Will you arbitrate? In which case, we'll move forward and we will. Go through discovery and we will uh, provide more detailed charging documents and provide you with evidence and we'll be able to uh, go through uh, an arbitration process and find the truth, at least according to the arbitrators, or do you wish to back away and not arbitrate, in which case we're telling you that we will sanction you. We will provide you with a lifetime ban from professional sport, and we will strip your results, including your seven Tour de France victories. And so it was that three days later, in the late evening of August 23, 2012, that Lance Armstrong came out before what was described as media friends and issued the following statement. There comes a point in every man's life when he has to say enough is enough. For me, that time is now. I've been dealing with claims that I cheated and had an unfair advantage in winning my seven tours since 1999. Over the past three years, I've been subjected to a two-year federal criminal investigation, followed by Travis Tigert's unconstitutional witch hunt. The toll this has taken on my family and my work for our foundation and on me leads me to where I am today, finished with this nonsense. I had hoped that a federal court would stop Usada's charade. Although the court was sympathetic to my concerns and recognized the many improprieties and deficiencies in USADA's motives, its conduct, and its process, the court ultimately decided that it could not intervene. If I thought for one moment that by participating in USADA's process I could confront these allegations in a fair setting and, once and for all, put these charges to rest, I would jump at the chance. But I refuse to participate in a process that is so one-sided and unfair. Regardless of what Travis Tigert says, there is zero physical evidence to support his outlandish and heinous claims. The only physical evidence here is the hundreds of controls I have passed with flying colors. I made myself available around the clock and around the world, in competition, out of competition, blood, urine, whatever they asked for, I provided. What is the point of all this testing if, in the end, USADA will not stand by it? From the beginning, however, this investigation has not been about learning the truth or cleaning up cycling, but about punishing me at all costs. I am a retired cyclist, yet USADA has lodged charges over 17 years old, despite its own eight-year limitation. As respected organizations such as UCI and USA Cycling have made clear, USADA lacks jurisdiction even to bring these charges. The international bodies governing cycling have ordered USADA to stop have given notice that no one should participate in USADA's improper proceedings, and have made it clear the pronouncements by USADA that it has banned people for life or stripped them of their accomplishments are made without authority. And as many others, including USADA's own arbitrators, have found, there is nothing even remotely fair about its process. USADA has broken the law, turned its back on its own rules, and stiff-armed those who have tried to persuade USADA to honor its obligations at every turn, USADA has played the role of a bully, threatening everyone in its way and challenging the good faith of anyone who questions its motives or its methods, all at U.S. taxpayers' expense. For the last two months, USADA has endlessly repeated the mantra that there should be a single set of rules applicable to all, but they have arrogantly refused to practice what they preach. On top of all of that, USADA has allegedly made deals with other writers that circumvent their own rules as long as they say they cheated. Many of those riders continue to race today. The bottom line is I played by the rules that were put in place by the UCI, WADA, and USADA when I raced. The idea that athletes can be convicted today without positive A and B samples under the same rules and procedures that apply to athletes with positive tests perverts the system and creates a process where any begrudged ex-teammate can open a USADA case out of spite or for personal gain or a cheating cyclist can cut a sweetheart deal for themselves. It's an unfair approach applied selectively in opposition to all the rules. It's just not right. USADA cannot assert control of a professional international sport and attempt to strip my seven Tour de France titles. I know who won those seven tours, my teammates know who won those seven tours, and everyone I competed against knows who won those seven tours. We all raced together, for three weeks, over the same roads, the same mountains, and against all the weather and elements that we had to confront. There were no shortcuts, there was no special treatment, the same courses, the same rules. The toughest event in the world where the strongest man wins, nobody can change that. Especially not Travis Tigert. Today I turn the page. I will no longer address this issue regardless of the circumstances. I will commit myself to the work I began before ever winning a single Tour de France title. Serving people and families affected by cancer, especially those in underserved communities. This October, my foundation will celebrate 15 years of service to cancer survivors and the milestone of raising nearly $500 million. We have a lot of work to do, and I'm looking forward to an end to this pointless distraction. I have a responsibility to all those who have stepped forward to devote their time and energy to the cancer cause. I will not stop fighting for that mission. Going forward, I'm going to devote myself to raising my five beautiful and energetic kids fighting cancer, and attempting to be the fittest 40-year-old on the planet. And with that, Lance Armstrong closed the book, he says, on his fighting of charges. And with that, the United States Anti-Doping Agency stripped Lance Armstrong of his results, including his seven Tour de France titles, and banned him from professional sport. The next day on August 24th, The United States Anti-Doping Agency issued the following press release. USADA announced today that Lance Armstrong has chosen not to move forward with the independent arbitration process and, as a result, has received a lifetime period of ineligibility and disqualification of all competitive results from August 1, 1998 through the present as the result of his anti-doping rule violations stemming from his involvement in the United States Postal Service Cycling Team Doping Conspiracy. Following the dismissal of Mr. Armstrong's lawsuit on Monday, August 20th, 2012, by the federal court here in Austin, Texas, Mr. Armstrong had until midnight on Thursday, August 23rd, to contest the evidence against him in a full evidentiary hearing with neutral arbitrators as provided by United States law. However... When given the opportunity to challenge the evidence against him and with full knowledge of the consequences, Mr. Armstrong chose not to contest the fact that he engaged in doping violations from at least August 198 and participated in a conspiracy to cover up his actions. As a result of Mr. Armstrong's decision, USADA is required under the applicable rules, including the World Anti-Doping Code, under which he is accountable to disqualify his competitive results and suspend him from all future competition. Quote, nobody wins when an athlete decides to cheat with dangerous performance-enhancing drugs, but clean athletes at every level expect those of us here on their behalf to pursue the truth, to ensure the win-at-all-cost culture does not permanently overtake fair, honest competition, unquote, said USADA CEO Travis T. Tigert. Quote, anytime we have overwhelming proof of doping, our mandate is to initiate the case through the process and see it to conclusion, as was done in this case, unquote. As is every athlete's right, if Mr. Armstrong would have contested the USADA charges, all of the evidence would have been presented in an open legal proceeding for him to challenge. He chose not to do this, knowing these sanctions would immediately be put in place. The evidence against Lance Armstrong arose from disclosures made to USADA by more than a dozen witnesses who agreed to testify testify and provide evidence about their firsthand experience and or knowledge of the doping activity of those involved in the USPS conspiracy, as well as analytical data. As part of the investigation, Mr. Armstrong was invited to meet with USADA and be truthful about his time on the USPS team, but he refused. On June 12, 2012, USADA issued a notice letter informing Mr. Armstrong and five other individuals, including the USPS team director, team trainer, and three team doctors of USADA's intent to open proceedings against them on june 28th following a review process set forth in the applicable rules usada notified mr armstrong and the five other individuals that the independent review panel's findings confirmed sufficient and in fact overwhelming evidence and that usada was charging them with rule violations numerous witnesses provided evidence to usada based on personal knowledge acquired either through direct observation of doping activity by armstrong or through armstrong's admissions of doping to them that armstrong used epo Blood transfusions, testosterone, and cortisone during the period from before 1998 through 2005, and that he had previously used EPO, testosterone, and human growth hormone through 1996. Witnesses also provided evidence that Lance Armstrong gave to them encouraged them to use and administer doping products or methods, including EPO, blood transfusions, testosterone, and cortisone during the period from 99 through 2005. Additionally, scientific data showed Mr. Armstrong's use of blood manipulation, including EPO or blood transfusions, during Mr. Armstrong's comeback to cycling in the 2009 Tour de France. The press release then goes on to specify the specific anti-doping rule violations under which Lance Armstrong and his colleagues were charged. And so what about that ban, and whether or not the UCI will uphold that ban? And for its part, what about the World Anti-Doping Agency? Well, World Anti-Doping Agency President John Fahey says that Lance's decision not to fight the case against USADA was, in his words, an admission that the allegations, quote, had substance At least that's what he told the Associated Press, continuing saying, quote, I'm confident and WADA is confident that the USADA acted within the WADA code and that a court in Texas also decided not to interfere. They now have the right to apply a penalty that will be recognized by, this is important, recognized by all WADA code countries around the world. As for Armstrong, Fahey says, quote, he had a right to contest the charges. He chose not to. The simple fact is that his refusal to examine the evidence means that the charges had substance in them. Under the rules, penalties can now be imposed. When the Associated Press asked Fahey whether or not USADA had the authority to take away Lance's Tour de France titles, Fahey said, quote, Olympic medals and titles are for other agencies to decide, not WADA. Spokesman for the International Olympic Committee in Lausanne, Switzerland, spokesman Mark Adams said that the IOC is going to have to look at the decisions made by USADA and the UCI before deciding what they are going to do next. Okay, so what about the UCI? According to the UCI, now remember, they originally backed Lance Armstrong's challenge in the U.S. District Court, but the UCI said in a statement, quote, the UCI recognizes that USADA is reported as saying that it will strip Mr. Armstrong of all results from 1998 onwards, in addition to imposing a lifetime ban from participating in any sport which recognizes the World Anti-Doping Code. Article 8.3 of the World Anti-Doping Code states that there." That where no hearing occurs, the anti doping organization with results management responsibility shall submit to the parties concerned, meaning Lance, WADA, and the UCI, a reasoned decision explaining the action taken. As USADA has claimed jurisdiction in the case, the UCI expects that it will issue a reasoned decision in accordance with Article 8.3 of the Code. And that so far is where the case has been left many are left to wonder whether or not the the governing bodies USA Cycling and the International Cycling Union or UCI will decide to step in and determine as they have said in the past that USADA does not have the authority to level these sanctions despite the fact that the World Anti-Doping Agency says that usada does indeed have the authority to do so so where does that leave me what's my opinion well i think i've telegraphed it long enough i've mentioned a little bit of it as i've been going through all of the facts of this case but i thought that it was important to go through the entire history of the case to arrive at this point here's my take and i'm going to start out with a very important statement And for those of you who don't agree with my final analysis, I hope you'll remember this one thing I'm going to say first. I don't know whether or not Lance Armstrong ever used performance enhancing drugs. Neither do you. I don't know that he did. I don't know that he didn't. And neither do you. If Lance Armstrong, did use performance-enhancing drugs, only he and a select few know about it. If he didn't, you and I don't know. It is simply not within our power, you and I, to know whether or not Lance Armstrong doped. But this is what I believe. This is my opinion. And this opinion comes from, as I said at the very beginning of the show, from being a student, of professional cycling an observer of professional cycling uh, and from spending hours perhaps years of my life uh, all told studying this very subject i believe from what i know and see and have observed of lance armstrong that he is a fighter look at the way that he beat cancer read his book it's not about the bike you can see the determination of this man. Look into his eyes. I have been in team cars. As Lance Armstrong has raced alongside, he has perhaps the most intense stare of anyone I have ever seen up close. It is admirable and a bit frightening all at the same time. The man is going to win at whatever he attempts. And quite frankly, uh, one of the reasons why the Livestrong Foundation is so successful is because of Lance Armstrong. Because of his determination to ensure that cancer victims and their families get all the support that they need. Because Lance wills it, it will be so. And so I'm left to wonder, why is it truly that Lance Armstrong didn't go that one extra step, go to arbitration and let the evidence see the light of day. When Lance backed away the other night, I was at dinner with friends, and when he backed away, it was at that moment that I solidified my belief, my opinion, not based on fact, but my opinion that Lance Armstrong is hiding something. You don't have to agree with me, but I would love to see the evidence. I would love to hear those other guys, those other cyclists. Forget Tyler Hamilton. Forget Floyd Landis. But I'd love to hear George Hincapie's side of the story. You don't want to believe Betsy and Frankie? Fine. But I would love to hear Levi Leipheimer's side of the story. And I would love to hear Jonathan side and Christian Vandeveld and all of the other witnesses who have said that they would testify. Look, Lance Armstrong says in a very carefully worded statement that he passed the tests as they were at that time, that he abided by the rules that existed at that time. Does that mean anything to you? Do you see the way that that's been parsed, the way that it's been carefully worded? I do. And it leaves me with doubt and wonder and causes me to not understand why it is that so many have rushed to his side and said, congratulations, Lance, you're doing the right thing. Fight the power. Well, Lance Armstrong stood by the power when it served his needs. And now that it is not serving his needs, he backs away and says, you're wrong. You don't have jurisdiction. Your rules are faulty. Well, when they serve you, they're okay, and when they don't serve you, they're not. That leads me to wonder, and it should lead you to wonder as well. Let's look back at Lance Armstrong's statement. Lance Armstrong says that USADA lacks jurisdiction to bring these charges. As was clear from USADA's pleading statement, as was clear from what the World Anti-Doping Agency said, at least it's clear to me, USADA has jurisdiction to bring these charges. He's then worried about the rules, rules under which he, rules which he used when they served his benefit, but now rules that he doesn't agree with because they don't serve to his benefit. Arbitration, as Judge Sparks said, least here in the United States, has become a well-accepted means of satisfying disputes. And it is not for the courts to decide. It is for arbitration. And yet Lance Armstrong believes that that would be one-sided. Going back to my previous statement, he says, quote, the bottom line is I played by the rules that were put in place by UCI, WADA, and USADA when I raced, unquote. We'll talk about Jonathan Voters in a moment, but when you read Jonathan Voters' op-ed piece, he's pretty clear. Hey, when I raced, nobody was watching. The rules and the tests were faulty. So Lance, guess what? If you followed the rules and you passed their tests at the time, that doesn't necessarily mean that you weren't using performance-enhancing drugs. I'm not saying you were. I don't know whether you were or you weren't, but I'm parsing your statement and the way that I parse your statement seems to me that I can drive a truck through it. As for the lack of physical evidence, USADA is claiming that they have physical evidence. USADA is claiming that they have blood tests which show, as I mentioned at the beginning, that show a pattern that indicates the possibility of blood doping and or EPO use. But let's leave physical evidence out for a moment. How many times in, let's talk about a court case, let's talk about a murder case. How many times do you have, he's going back to this Carmen Sandiego, right? The, 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 The weapon, the warrant, the criminal. How many times do you have a camera focused on a perpetrator as he fires the gun clearly into his or her victim? Doesn't happen, does it? It's very rare. But how many times can you convict on eyewitness testimony? Or think about a a conspiracy case, much as as has been alleged by USADA. In a conspiracy case, you've got people who were bad actors, as I said on the last show, but they weren't the kingpin. And so, in order to go after the kingpin, you, you say to the lieutenants, hey, If you'll give us your honest testimony, we'll give you a lesser sentence. And so it's not unusual to do that in this case. And for anyone to claim that it's unusual to not have the physical evidence, that it's unusual to take eyewitness testimony and yes, to give somebody a lesser sentence, a lesser penalty in exchange for that testimony, for anybody to say that that's unusual For anybody to say that that's unconventional and for anybody to say that it is against the rules is disingenuous. And you know that. Whether you're Lance Armstrong or whether you're one of Lance's supporters, this is simply the fact of evidence. It happens all the time. And so it's not unusual and it's not against any rules. And let's talk about the UCI. I told you at the start of the show how... Really disillusioned I am with the world of professional cycling, perhaps even with the world of professional sport, but we there have been allegations when it comes to Lance Armstrong about getting advanced warning of failed tests or about failed tests that were covered up About money, exchanging hands, I'll give you, you know, I'll donate to your anti-doping efforts or I'll donate to this lab or whatever the allegations have been. And the UCI has been right in the middle of all of that. And so when the UCI came out and said to USADA, "Uh, never mind, boys, we'll take over from here. That was striking for any of us who have been looking at this case for as long as I have. For any of us who have known about the allegations of, don't call it conspiracy, collusion, I don't even know what to call it, Mutual Admiration Society, for the UCI then to step up and say to the USADA, "Um, it's okay, guys, we got it from here, that struck me as strange. And so now, all of a sudden, Lance Armstrong is saying, hey, USADA, you can't even ban me, only the UCI can do that. Quite frankly, something we've talked about on the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast for a very long time. It's not only time for our anti-doping regime to be, re- to be well, reformed is probably not even strong enough a word. It's not only time for our anti-doping regime to be reformed. I'd say it's time for the UCI to be reformed. If this case doesn't blow up professional cycling, if Jonathan Vaughter's admissions, which we're going to get to in a minute, Don't blow up professional cycling. I don't know what will. And for me, I haven't watched a moment of the Vuelta. I watched very little of the Tour of Utah and of the USA Pro Cycling Challenge, although Jens Voigt winning a stage was awfully cool. But I've watched very little of it because I am disgusted with professional cycling. This sport needs reform. Whether you believe Lance Armstrong doped or whether you don't believe Lance Armstrong doped, look at what the judge said in this case. When you have these three international and national bodies bickering amongst themselves over how a case like this should be adjudicated, if that doesn't tell you that this sport needs reform, I don't know what will. And so I am disillusioned, and I'm shocked if you're not disillusioned as well. And so briefly, let's talk about a couple of subjects. Something I saw on the Science of Sport blog earlier today, Uh, and you can find this at sportsscientists.com. They go through this case, and I'll put a link in the show notes. They go through this case in, in great detail and talk about a couple of important points that we've also mentioned here. The one about passing 500 tests. Uh, If you go through uh, their analysis, uh, they're not quite sure it's 500. Remember, Lance started at about 400, and then it was 500. Now we're close to 600, as they said, quote, it's like that fish your uncle caught on a summer vacation in 1997 that grew in size with every storytelling, unquote. By their analysis, Lance probably... Probably went through about 230 to 250 doping tests. Now, still, that's a huge number. How is it possible that he passed all of those tests? Well, it comes down to money. And it comes down to who's better, the testers or the person being tested and their doctors. And let's look at people who passed doping tests for very long periods without failing. People like Marion Jones and Jan Ulrich and Alejandro Valverde and Ivan Basso. So just because you passed a test is not necessarily evidence that you weren't using some measure of performance enhancement. The second point they make is one that I hear all the time, not as much as the next one we're going to talk about, but what's the point of testing testing? If they don't even catch anyone, right? If Ulrich and Basso and Jones were able to get away with it for so long, and perhaps even if Lance Armstrong was able to get away with it for his entire career, why are we testing anyway? And their point is, don't be silly. Like anything, like any technology, it's evolving. And so when you look at this Tour de France and the last, okay, there was a French cyclist who was thrown out of this year's Tour de France, Frank Schleck was thrown, which blew me away, was thrown out of this year's Tour de France uh, for for the alleged use of a diuretic. When you look at this year's tour, when you look at last year's tour, and you listen to people saying, oh, the tour wasn't as exciting as it's been in years past. Well, maybe that's because we've got a cleaner sport. Maybe that's because as we've advanced in our doping controls, as the biological passport was introduced and has become better, maybe it's possible that we literally are leveling the playing field and that fewer and fewer professional cyclists are doping. That's been my hope, my desire, my dream for a long time. Maybe that's exactly what's going on. and So that's a good thing. And third point they make is that if Lance doped, who cares? As Jonathan Votter says, everybody was doping then, So that made it a level playing field. And the other night when Lance decided not to fight the charges and I was out to dinner with some friends. My friend said to me, what would you do? What would I do? If you were a professional athlete, it was what you dreamed about for your entire life. It was what you worked hard for. And you found out that you couldn't get that extra 5% that was necessary between being the Lantern Rouge and the Mayo Jean. If you couldn't get there without doping, And that was all you'd ever dreamed about. Come on. You'd dope too, wouldn't you? And as the authors of the article say, and I think that they're right, they're glad that they were never faced with that choice. And I think many of us are glad that we were never faced with that choice. But look, as we'll talk about in a moment, we're all faced with choices in life about what's right and what's wrong, what's legal and what's illegal. Do I go 65 in a 55 zone? Do I roll through the stop sign in my car? Do I eat a couple of strawberries as I'm walking by them in the in the grocery store? Do I dope? Do I s- set up a Ponzi scheme? We're all faced with choices. And to me, there's no gray area here. It's black or it's white. You and I are glad that we weren't faced with that choice. I would like to believe that like so many athletes who decided I'm not going to race in Europe. If that's my choice, I'm going to go back to the United States or back to my home country. I realize it means I'm not going to be the multimillionaire, but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to do the moral and ethical and right thing by the rules. Look, it seems clear from listening to a lot of these, these athletes that, and we know this, we've known this, that doping was rampant in the Peloton years ago. And that if you wanted to get from being the Lantern Rouge to the Milo Jean, perhaps, the only way to do it at that time was to dope. That doesn't make it any more right. It's a lot like, you know, your mom or your grandmother or your, or your father or grandfather used to say to you when you were a kid, just because everyone's doing it doesn't make it right. If so-and-so told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it too? And that really is the crux of the matter. A lot of this just comes down to the same stuff that your parents and grandparents told you years and years ago. So don't tell me that it leveled the playing field because guess what? It didn't. If Ulrich was doping, hypothetically, and Lance was doping, hypothetically, and Lance was able to give him that look and charge up that mountain and beat him by all of that, did that really level the playing field or was somebody's doping program just better than somebody else's? It's all hypothetical. I'm not making any allegations. I'm just saying it doesn't necessarily level the playing field. It comes down to whose doctors are better and who has more money and who's doing it better than the other one. That's it. So it's not leveling the playing field. And I think they're absolutely right. And I think you should go read this article. And then it's 13 years too late. Who cares? This was so long ago. Why are we still caring about this? Well, it's pretty simple. And there's a couple of answers. Answer number one, because, again, right is right. And if we're able to determine now that someone was able to gain a an unfair advantage, an advantage against the rules, an illegal advantage, one might say, then we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to the sport to bring that to the light of day. And answer number two, perhaps more importantly, and that is, If you're a professional cyclist today, forget it. If you're an amateur cyclist today and you want to become a professional cyclist in the future and when that little devil on your shoulder says to you, it's okay, just dope. It's going to make you a better cyclist. You're going to become a champion. You're going to become the national champ. You're going to be your team leader. Go ahead, do it. It's all right. But when that angel on your other shoulder says to you, don't do it. Don't do it because it's wrong. Don't do it because you're going to be compromising your morals and your ethics. Don't do it because you're going to be cheating. And hey, guess what? Don't do it because who knows if in 5, 10, 15 years from now, a better test is going to come out and you're going to get caught and you're going to be exposed as a fraud and you're going to lose everything, not just money, not just adulation, but family, family, And friends and respect and so for that reason it matters and for that reason USADA was right if they truly have evidence that indicates that Lance Armstrong or any professional cyclist of note doped they need to go after them and they need to pursue them and the evidence needs to see the light of day it is my fervent belief that the evidence comes out let's see it let's hear it. Let's find out the truth so that it doesn't happen again. You can feel free to disagree with me. You can send me emails. I hope you do. You can send me voicemails. I hope you do. I've made it easier on the website to do so. But it is my opinion that when the UCI said no, and when Lance Armstrong backed off, that sealed it in my book. What do you think? And then there's this. Remember when we were talking about the possibility of athletes testifying uh, in the USADA case against Lance Armstrong, that among those athletes would be athletes from Slipstream Sports? And we we talked about Christian Vandervelde and Dave Zabriskie, because they're currently racing in the pro peloton. But an athlete Or, a former athlete that we didn't discuss or that a lot of people hadn't considered was Jonathan Vodders. Now, a lot of people know Jonathan Vodders as the head of Slipstream Sports. He's the manager of the Garmin Sharp team. Vodders currently is 39 years old, but many people don't remember, perhaps that Vauders was once a professional cyclist himself, indeed competing as part of the United States Postal Service team. Um, he actually won a time trial in the Dauphiné Liberé, and he was part of the U.S. Postal Service team in the Tour de France that assisted Lance Armstrong in winning the first Tour de France of his career. Vauders left Professional cycling, there have been rumors for a long time about whether or not Vodder's doped in leaving professional cycling and starting Slipstream Sports. He made it clear that any team that he was going to manage, any team that he was going to be a part of, was going to race clean. And so when the original team uh, was announced wearing Argyle, Part of the team's philosophy, part of their core values, was a stance against doping and ensuring that every athlete on the team abstained from the use of performance-enhancing drugs. Fast forward to 2012, the Garmin Sharp Squad is among the top in the world, boasting some of the uh, best athletes, uh, some excellent results. Uh, and a team manager in Jonathan Vodders, who's known as much for his uh, clothing styles as he is for his avid use of Twitter, Uh, even uh, frequently getting into long conversations on Twitter with fans and media alike. Just as the Lance Armstrong case was coming to a conclusion in U.S. District Court, a bombshell hits in the form of an op-ed piece in the New York Times on August eleventh, 2012, a piece written in the New York Times Sunday Opinion page and penned by none other than Jonathan Vaughters himself. The article from Jonathan Vaughters discusses how he believes we should be getting doping out of professional sport, and he claims to come from a point of knowledge because as he says, why does an athlete dope? I know why, because I face that choice. And Voders admits to his use of performance enhancing drugs as a member of the Pro Peloton and discusses his reasons for doing so. One reason Voders says is because it was a childhood dream. And he says, in his own words, quote, Now imagine you've paid the dues, you've done the work, you've got the talent. And your resolve is solid as concrete. At that point, the dream is 98% complete, but there's that last little bit you need to become great. Then, just short of finally living your childhood dream, you're told, either straight out or implicitly, by some coaches, mentors, even the boss, that you aren't going to make it unless you cheat. Unless you choose to dope, doping can be that last 2%. It would keep your dream alive, at least in the eyes of those who couldn't see your heart. However, you'd have to lie. Lie to your mother, your friends, your fans. Lie to the world. This has been the harsh reality laid out before many of the most talented, hardest working, and biggest dreaming athletes. So one reason Vodder says that he doped is because it was the only way that he was going to be able to achieve his dream in a world where everyone is doping. And therefore, as we discussed earlier, in order to level the playing field, the only way you can do so is to engage in the use of performance-enhancing substances. Fodders then goes on to talk about the fact that when he was racing, the anti-doping regulations either weren't being enforced or were being poorly enforced. And he says, quote, When you're ambitious in a world where rules aren't enforced, it's like fudging your income taxes in a world where the government doesn't audit. Think of what you would do if there were no internal revenue service, unquote. So, Vater says we shouldn't be giving athletes a choice between living your dream and doing the right thing. In other words, not doping. Instead, we have to make sure that doping regulations are strictly enforced. And in doing so, we have to let athletes know in his words, quote, without a doubt that they'll have a fair chance by racing clean, unquote. And that essentially is what he's been trying to do with Slipstream Sports and with first Garmin Chipotle and now, of course, Garmin Sharp. What he's trying to do is say, you're on a level playing field simply by playing by the rules. And I think that that's a great message to give to athletes. But here's my problem think that the message of his op-ed rings a bit hollow at least for me because what he's trying to say is and what we talked about on the spokesman was look I'm a, I was a young kid I was in my late teens early 20s and I was faced with a career choice and a, and, and and a choice that would affect my dreams do I try to live my dream do I make my career or do I follow the rules? Well, the rules aren't really being enforced. So wh- what does it matter whether I follow the rules? Or- Everybody's doing it. And so his choice, while he says he regrets it and I believe him, and while he says that he felt guilt and I believe him, the fact of the matter is he still went ahead and did it. Now, listen, there are literally thousands of you that listen to the Fredcast. And very few of you, if any, are professional cyclists, indeed professional athletes. But in some way, shape, shape, or form, you all excel at something. In some way or another, you all had dreams. I did. And listen, are you doing what you dreamed of? Or was there a decision that you had to make at some point in your life based on some other factors as to whether or not you were going to be able to pursue your dream Or whether you were going to be able to live in the the world of reality. I don't know what your reasons may have been. Maybe in order to achieve your dream, you would have had to break a rule. Or you would have had to step on toes. Or you would have had to claw over someone else and you weren't comfortable with that. Because it didn't meet with your morals or your ethics. Maybe you had to make a choice because you were starting a family. And going to, I don't know, medical school, for instance, just wasn't in the cards. And so instead of becoming a doctor, you became a paralegal or maybe you became, I don't know, it could have been anything, a a paramedic or a salesperson or God knows what. The point is, in life, we have decisions that we have to make because of the exigencies of a situation, because of rules, because of what we find moral and ethical. Simply right and wrong. Jim Moss on the spokesman said that there are gray areas. Interesting coming from an attorney, right? For me, it's black and white. It's right or it's wrong. And that is simply your choice. And you'll forgive me, Mr. Vodders, but you knew that what you were doing was wrong. Whether or not they were there to enforce it, you knew that what you were doing was against the rules. And so you made the choice. I'm going to do the wrong thing so that I don't lose my dream. While there were others who said, I refuse to do the wrong thing. And if that simply means that I don't wear the nice clothes, drive the nice car, win the race, or I have to go back to my own country instead of racing on the international stage. But I'm still going to get to pursue my dream, even if it means that I can't be the best in the world, because you know what? At this point, having seen the best in the world, and if every one of them are doping, I don't want to be like them. And that was the choice that he had to make. And quite frankly, from my perspective, he made the wrong choice. So going back to the science and sport article, or going back to the the conversation I had with my friend when Lance decided not to fight. If I was a professional athlete, said my friend, and I was given the choice of either continuing to be a professional athlete and doping or no longer being a professional athlete, I'm not sure what I would have done. I'd like to believe that I would have made the right choice. I'd like to have seen Jonathan Vauders make the right choice. Because you know what? How many of you have been audited by the IRS? It doesn't happen every year and it doesn't happen to everyone. It sucks when it does, but it doesn't always happen. And so quite frankly, you know people who cheat on their taxes, but that doesn't mean that you should do it. It doesn't make it any more right. And so just like your family saying to you, your grandmother, your grandfather, your mom or your dad saying just because they're doing it doesn't make it right. Just because they're going off and doing this thing that you know you shouldn't do doesn't make it right. And the same thing goes for Jonathan Votters and for anyone else in the pro peloton who faced a choice and made the wrong one. It's just like life. You can be mature. You can decide to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. And if so many professional cyclists did, as Jonathan Votters is saying that they did and this is why i've lost faith in my sport here you have a guy who for the last several years has held up this anti-doping flag this i'm holier than thou attitude of we will not accept doping in this sport and yet he was doping no different than reese no different than any of the other guys who have admitted or been convicted of doping Take an unrepentant doper like Alexander Vinokorov, who wins the Olympic gold medal in the road race. I was sickened. How is it that we can hold these people up who say with almost like my children, oh, I I, I, it was the only way that i could achieve my dream and we're supposed to laud them as heroes in the sport and that's exactly what i was seeing on the internet and on twitter and i still see about jonathan vaders quite frankly my personal opinion is you take a guy like reese you take a guy like vaders and all those other guys who have admitted to doping and you give them a lifetime ban from the sport you sir are no longer allowed in our sport because you have tainted it you have given it an awful reputation you made your choice, and now you must live with it. I was spitting nails when I read this article from, from Jonathan Vodder's, because to me, it showed a moral and ethical attitude that I was not okay with. It showed a level of immaturity that I was not okay with. And let Jim Moss tell me on The Spokesman that we all made decisions when we were 20 that we regret, Regret, but a decision like this, No i will not countenance it and it's because of guys like reese and vaters and frankly now lance that i am livid and disgusted with my sport and for that i despise them and pity them it is not okay what they have done and it is time for all of us to stand up and say no more no more and one last thing is anyone left to wonder why it is that Jonathan Vauder's piece in the New York Times was timed the way that it was? D- does anyone else, like me and several of the folks on The Spokesman with me, believe that this was choreographed? Because if it's true that there was a list of witnesses that the USADA had who were willing to testify against Lance Armstrong in exchange for lighter penalties— and if one of those witnesses was Jonathan Vodders, isn't it entirely possible, just possible, that this piece came out in the New York Times as Vodder's way of getting out in front of it, managing the message, if you will? And if that's also the case, I'd love to ask Jonathan Vodders whether he regrets not waiting until after Judge Sparks, and indeed after Lance Armstrong's, decisions. Maybe we'll never know. Well, I told you I had a lot to say, and now I've said it. Uh, Perhaps a bit like Lance Armstrong, I really hope that I don't have to revisit this again and appreciate your indulgence in listening to me give you a history of the, the Lance Armstrong case, the most recent version thereof, and giving you my opinion on it. It's entirely possible that half of you have been cheering this entire time. And that half of you have been ready to turn off the the podcast and never listen again. I certainly hope that that's not the case. We can agree to disagree. But most importantly, I think that instead of agreeing to disagree, I'd like to have a dialogue with you about this. I would love to hear your opinions. If you were screaming at your computer or at your car stereo speakers or screaming as you were riding, listening to the show, and you've got something to say, Please, please send it to me. There are so many different ways to do that. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but please send me your opinions and I will voice them in your own words, perhaps, hopefully in your own voice here on the show. Look, this is a controversial topic. I know that. We're talking about a polarizing personality, at least these days, in the way of Lance Armstrong. You may feel completely differently. I want to hear about it and I want to let your fellow Fredcast listeners hear in your own words, your thoughts. So please send them along. I will include them on an upcoming episode of the Fredcast, but go ahead and send them. I want to keep this conversation going because it's good for cycling that these issues come out and the more they see the light of day, the more we can hopefully nip them in the bud and make this entire doping era, a thing of the past. Okay, before we go, a couple of uh, quick housekeeping items. Number one, I have a very limited uh, number of uh, Team Fredcast jerseys available. I had to order some for our Bike MS team, and I've got a couple, just a couple left. So get them while you can. Go to www.thefredcast.com slash store. Currently, right now, I have large and extra large available, but once they're gone, they're gone, and then once they are gone, we're going to start working on a new uh, Fredcast jersey design, and we'll start talking about that in the days and weeks to come. So go to thefredcast.com slash store and grab those jerseys before they're gone. Also, before we go, I would be remiss if I didn't thank our show sponsor, Jensen USA. Go to JensenUSA.com slash the Fredcast, where you're going to find great prices and incredible selection and unparalleled customer service. That's JensenUSA.com slash the Fredcast. And don't forget, they have that great Shimano Saint Group available right now. So go ahead and check it out for those of you who are Gravity Mavens. Again, jensenusa.com slash thefredcast. We thank them so much for their support. Okay, and as always, here's how you can contact me here at The Fredcast, and it's quite possible that based on everything I've said today, you might have a lot to say. Uh, Probably the easiest way to send an audio comment is something new that I've just added to the website at www.thefredcast.com. On the right-hand side of every page, there's a little tab that says send a voice message. You click that, It activates the microphone on your computer. You leave your message, and it sends it right to my inbox. It's a great way to get your feedback right here on the show. Of course, you can always call our FredCast listener hotline. That's 661-513-FRED, 661-513-3733. Be sure to let me know whether or not it's okay to use your audio on the show. Of course, you can follow along on Twitter. The Twitter handle is simply FredCast, or you can go to our Facebook page or send me an email the fredcast at gmail.com so many ways to stay in contact please send your comments in and i will get them up on the show well this has been the first of what could be two or possibly three shows this week from the fredcast cycling podcast so before we get out of here it's time as always for Podsafe cycling music and this week's Podsafe cycling music was chosen specifically for the fredcast by IndoorCyclingMusic.com, the home of the free weekly featured track and premium members content of weekly 30 and 60-minute cardio mixes and monthly 90-minute cardio mixes to get the world moving. Go ahead and check them out at www.IndoorCyclingMusic.com. This show's Pod Save Cycling Music is by Frank Eddy, and it's entitled Bite That. So thanks once again for listening. Thanks for staying subscribed. Thanks for your patience. And thanks for listening to me. I can't wait to hear your comments on what we had to say this evening. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. I'll be back real soon with another show. Actually, could be as soon as tomorrow night. But in the meantime, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride.